You're listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, the number one Australian weekly trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. Listen to On The Road on the Australian Big Rigs Radio Roadshow and via podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify and now also on iHeartRadio. Just search for On The Road Aussie Trucking Podcast. On The Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. Welcome back. It's good to see you here on the road again. This week, Mike does double duties on the interviews with a couple of great chats with Steve Corcoran and Rod Hanafy. We've got some great music from Aussie trucking music legend Nev Nichols. We find out what Mike gets up to in his spare time in That's What You Think. We've got all the latest news and Mike spins a yarn about roadhouses in Something to Talk About. Yep, it's our biggest show yet, so time for me to stick a sock in it and get this show on the road. G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Our music on this week's show has been selected to honour the work of an Aussie bloke who over many, many years has written and recorded a huge body of work that has become virtually the soundtrack to trucking in this country. Born in 1930, Nev Nichols took up the guitar at age 11 and over the years since he has released over 24 albums. As a youngster he rode his motorcycle all the way into Sydney just to appear on the Australia's Amateur Hour radio show. In 1957 he travelled north as a part of the Reg Lindsay show and in 1968 he became the resident music act at the famous Texas Tavern in King's Cross, a gig that lasted for 10 years. During that time he entertained American servicemen on R&R from Vietnam, rubbed shoulders with a host of celebrities and generated a great interest in country music in a way that had never been seen before and was later inducted into the Australian Country Music Roll of Renown at Tamworth, the most prestigious award a country music artist can be given in this country. Nev, now 91, once was quoted as saying, if I had my life to live over, I don't think I'd have the strength. On the Road has tried, unfortunately without success, to make contact with Nev, to have a chat with him about his amazing career and the huge legacy of trucking songs he's created over all those years. So, if any of our listeners know how we might be able to get in touch with him, please drop us a line. Better still, Nev, if you're listening to our show, please give us a call. We'd love to have a yarn with you. For now, let's kick off the show this week with one of his most well-known songs. Here's Nev Nichols with Blazing Diesels. and 
satisfaction this one can The chills run up your spine when you're racing against time I guess I was born to be a trucking man Overnighters, interstaters, there's not a sound that's greater As their flaming smokestacks spread an eerie light It takes a man with nerves of steel to sit behind the wheel Blazing diesels, roaring through the night Blazing diesels, roaring through the night Blazing diesels, roaring through the Today I've got with me Steve Corcoran. Now, some of you may know Steve, some of you won't have a clue who he is. Steve's been around as a transport advocate for quite some time. He's gone his own way and done a few things. He's got a podcast called the Transport Inquiry Podcast. He's also got a YouTube channel under the same name. He's been advocating for safety drivers' rights since before the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal. So... We have a chat about your channel and the inquiry we were both at the other day and a few of the things that I know annoy you and me in the game. Welcome to the show, mate. Tell us what's going on. Thank you for inviting me. Basically, I was just a driver, come out of the central west of New South Wales and cut my teeth doing Melbourne, Brisbane out of Mill Marin, cutting cotton. From there, I moved into road trains and going to Perth and Darwin and basically worked for lots of different companies, doing lots of different jobs. And over the time, some of my friends who come into driving trucks with me around the same time, 1995, a few of those guys that went into trucking got killed in different accidents. And it was always something that was kind of widely accepted that just happens and you just got to move on and get over it. So driven a lot of kilometres and met a lot of guys. And in 2012, I was on my way back to Brisbane from North Queensland and had coffee with a guy before we took off in the morning. And he went first and he got killed just down the road. And it was one of those situations where you're in a phone black spot. The design of the road meant that we couldn't go forward, couldn't go back. So I was on the scene for seven hours and the uh, policeman at the end of the time just told me I was right to leave. Yeah. It was on the way back from that scene to Brisbane that all ramifications of what had transpired came to light. Yeah. The man who was killed, my wife was working with his son inadvertently by serendipitous events. So they were both informed by the police at the same time. Yeah. And so... There was more to deal with when I got home. Mm. So it began to affect me in ways that the other guys' deaths hadn't. It came to be a problem for me sleeping. And so when I saw my doctor and he gave me some time off work to sort it out. Yeah. And so my wife at the time holds a degree in workplace health and safety. So there was a lot of literature lying around. So I spent my time trying to make sense of how we could bring a change to make these things not happen anymore. Mm. It was only through looking at everything and reading everything and trying to find something that hadn't ever been tried that the mining industry had basically cured its fatality rate from what it was to what it is now. 
So the regime of that was to increase standards and increase remuneration and bring about safer work practices. And so to try and make sense of it, I went and asked 5,000 drivers whether or not they thought a danger money payment would be something worth asking for. Mm. I authored a petition that was tabled in the House of Representatives that had all those drivers' signatures on it. It was titled the Petition to Recognise Deaths in the Transport Industry. In response to that petition, the Ministers for Workplace Relations and the Minister for Transport they wrote me letters and told me to go to the RSRT with my problem. Yeah. Well, I've never done anything like that before. So I just went on the website and filled in the application, attached the letters from the ministers and they accepted my application. Mm. It was a really strange thing to go through. You can imagine if you'd ever been to a courtroom that I was basically my own barrister. Yep against corporate interests that had paid barristers there to combat the applications in the procedure. And so because it was the legislation that they sent me to use was brought in from all the reports and all the actions from all the drivers being killed in the previous 20 years. Yeah, yeah. 9,074 people killed since 1980. With that, it was a lesson in politics and how with any government move, it's very, very slow. Yeah. So after a couple of years, they brought out the first road safety order. Most people don't talk about the first road safety order. It's very inconvenient to a lot of arguments because it was implemented in the tribunal progressed and it was looking through all different sectors of the industry because the argument that it has to be across the whole entire industry is a misnomer. The tribunal, they looked at the different sectors that they talked about in the hearing that you and I attended. Yeah. The Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal was holding an inquiry into the cash in transit. So the cash in transit had made applications to the road safety remuneration tribunal for road safety orders for their drivers, Yeah, as well as an inquiry into the port and wharf sector into the charges on the port. Hmm. What's very important is the politicization of the driver's deaths has been attached to remuneration then can make it a football that they pass around as being its job killing overall. So therefore, we are allowed to continue to kill a few. Along with many others, the days of accepting our colleagues being killed on the road as a cost of doing business is just no longer acceptable. Quite plain to me from what you've said that it's come down to who has the power to make the decisions and who's prepared to throw the lawyers at it and spend the money on it. The motivations of the various players, as I said the other day, we can't get everyone on the same page and unfortunately it's going to take government intervention to make sure that people are on the same page and it's only now that I've sort of realised that the RSRT was one of those things that was going to put a few people on the same page and it's just unfortunate I think that that second order was the one that scared a lot of people and there was a lot of misinformation about at the time and we can only act on the information that we're given as you know you and I have had the conversation in the past I was dead set against that second order for the way it was drafted and unfortunately I wasn't aware that we could attempt to vary the order after it was in place. That was something that was never made plain. It's not ignorance by your own fault. 
It was designed that way to keep people in the dark. It's easily explained as a conspiracy when you look at the rhetoric that the government itself was using by saying they were doing this justifiable move by repealing legislation entirely to protect these workers. Now, with the events that have continued to happen Mm. since the repeal of the safety legislation, and your voice, my voice, and the wider community is becoming more woke to the plight that the Australian drivers are under because some of the conditions have been able to lax while other restrictions and financial penalties have been increased to such amazing weight of responsibility on the driver. Mm. That it disenfranchises those who have been in the game and are competent, good operators, but just don't see the risk-reward return to step back out onto the highway. Mm. And so it's become a community problem in that the community itself, if you have a look at the list of speakers and the witnesses who have attended the Senate inquiry hearings, Mm. if you listen to what they're really saying, and it all makes sense, and then there is many, many thousands of transport companies that aren't able to send a representative to the inquiry to have their voices heard. It becomes very tilted towards the upper echelons who are granted more time and also have lobbying power behind the scenes to influence the legislative body. Mm. The power of the community to bring awareness to the slaughter of these drivers in such great numbers it gives us a balance of power now to, to point out that these drivers are dying in very similar circumstances to each other. And so you can do a basic risk assessment and it's easy to repair it, but the people who have the pens don't want to write the rules. Well, the main reason why I went to the inquiry, as you well know, is not to talk about rules and regulations, but it was to talk about motivations and things that can be changed by the stroke of a pen. You heard me say, and Senator Stirl agree with me, that the stroke of a pen could alter the living conditions for drivers on the road quite easily. Just a pragmatic look at the prime mover length rules and a bit of a change to the steer weight. Drivers that wish to, owner drivers that wish to, or companies that wish to, could provide a little bit more living space and a little bit more comfort to their drivers. That would change the game in some way, I think. To your other point you were making about how it's become a community problem, what's happening on the highway now, I honestly think that the general public, I would say, don't care what happens. I think that they don't care in as much as, as long as it doesn't happen to them or it doesn't happen to someone they know, it's just one of those things that happens and we go, oh, that's unfortunate and we go to the supermarket and pick up our milk. Do you think that's an unfair characterisation? The statistics show that 82% of truck driver fatalities are caused by other road users. Yes, they do. And 40% of multi-vehicle crashes are suicide by truck when the general motorist uses the truck as the device of the ending of their life. So while the general motorist isn't held to a high driving ability regard that they use the road network just like a taxi, it's a convenience, it's not a place of work, it's not a place that's respected anymore. 
people have shown no patience on the road anymore always a race and it's always a road rage incident or some kind of dilemma Mm. and it was never like that until i mean the economics of transport changed with the gst implementation Because warehouses no longer stop things because they went from storing things to having them trucked in on time when needed because of the cost of running the business changed. Yeah. Transport has had to absorb a lot of costs to get the work and compete. Yeah. All the sciences and the mathematics and the economics show a financial return of one or two percent. So while the 1% or 2% profit margin contributes, what is it, 17% of GDP, the cost of a truck driver dying is $4.97 million to the national economy each time a truck driver dies. Where are you getting these numbers from, Steve? The Insurance Industry Council. It's part and parcel of how they structure their insurance policies. Mm around truck drivers specifically because we're the highest risk category for a workplace insurance which made up the bulk of my application to the RSRT was that it was so expensive to get life insurance or income protection insurance as a truck driver Hmm. no one wanted to take it on because they know that 28 truck drivers go off the road each day injured requiring one or more weeks off work so that's an expensive business to get into when not every truck driver is signing into their insurance schemes. Mm. The estimated value of life comes from those safe work figures. The safe work is the Australian Industry Council figures to accumulate the $10 billion over five years, $2 billion a year in truck driver deaths to the national economy, according to the Safe Work Australia. We'll be back for the rest of this great chat right after this. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Part of the reason why I'm so passionate about it is that the rules of counting how these drivers are killed is a lot like the controversy with the counting of coronavirus deaths. (laughs) Yeah, let's not open up the coronavirus can of worms, mate. But I understand what you mean. It's very, very hard to get a hard number from somewhere where a death loading is not counted one way. Depends on what happens to the driver, mm-hmm. how it's counted. You and I both know that to be true. I certainly know it to be true because I've been trying to find numbers. My friend Adam at NTI that does the Natasi reports, he's told me that to actually drill down and get the numbers is just a nightmare to do that, to get a real number of drivers that lose their life at work. So I don't think anyone's going to dispute that with you for sure. 
Well, the Transport Workers Union this week have said that of the 590 plus people killed since the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal repealed that 182 truck drivers were killed in, in crashes. Mm. So 182 out of 208,000, it's a very small percentage. Yeah. We can look after a very small percentage quite easily. And that means to look at the causes of those problems and it's not the actual truck drivers. It's their workplace conditions mm. with the sleeper berth conditions. Now, the minimum standards for a sleeper berth is 0.6 of a cubic metre, mm. and it's not mandatory to be air-conditioned unless it's above the 26th parallel in Western Australia between October and March. Yeah. It also says that it has to have ventilation, but it also has to be sealed from dust and rain. Mm. The entirety of the legislation is one page long. Yeah. And as you know, there's thousands and thousands of rules you can break, yep. but there's only one page of sleeping conditions, and that's a very skewed scale. Yeah. That you speaking about, I speaking about it, and Rod Hennefy trying to get more parking bays built and recognised with the green reflectors for the informal base. Yeah. Because while there's only 21 parking bays truck-specific in Queensland, over 33,000 kilometres of road, yeah. there's many informal bays and service stations and other things like that where drivers can get a break, but they're subject to noise and people knocking on their doors and yeah. no shade. Yeah. All the problems of basic amenities not being provided by the state council or the federal government. Yep. None of them are taking any responsibility. So it's good to know that people agree that these standards need to be increased without making it a financial burden. Like they've increased the B double limit to 27 metres and you can have an extra metre for your sleeper, but it has to be registered as a road train prime mover, yep. which is more money. They'll provide safety if you pay more. Yeah, yeah well, that's the story of our life really, isn't it? Hopefully, these recommendations in Senator Steele's report is going to highlight these couple of sleeping issues mm. where drivers are encouraged to sleep when they're tired by being given a good sleeper and a safe space to stop. Yeah. They don't have those safe space and, and good sleeper. We've got no chance of ever trying to address what they call fatigue problems within the industry mm. when it's not fatigue problems killing the drivers. It's the general motorist killing the drivers. Yeah, well. Well, we can address the small issue of fatigue and the crashes and the guys getting killed at 3 o'clock in the morning because they're tired and they've got nowhere to stop. Once we fix that and it's not the drivers having single vehicle crashes, maybe then they'll address the other 82%. All right, well. We've started to run a bit short on time, mate. I just want to wrap up with you now by just having a bit of a look at an email I received a little while ago. Sure. Talking about the Australian National Audit Office currently going into conducting an audit on the effectiveness and management of travel across Australian borders during the COVID-19 crisis, particularly in the light of the uh, event that happened in South Australia. Obviously, it's important that the transport industry voices heard in the ANAO's audit and I'll just read you out a little bit about it. And it says here in the body of this email that I've got the restrictions at borders across the country have changed with hardly any notice. Early on, there was a constant confusion over what appropriate paperwork was required in order to cross borders. Different quarantine requirements in different jurisdictions didn't help either. However, the transport industry has pulled together and got things moving. 
advocacy of state-based associations resulted in truck drivers being recognised as essential workers with necessary exemptions and conditions, but we've ended up seeing situations like the knee-jerk border closure in South Australia which resulted in a dangerous situation and resulted in yet another one of our colleagues losing their life on the road doing his job. I've had a hell of a lot to say about this. I was extremely upset with the management of the border closure at Albury there several weeks ago. Guys stuck in queues there for four, five, six hours. Nowhere to rest, nowhere to park. The effect, just even the motorists with the kids in the car. Would have been a mild form of torture to be sitting in that queue with the kids in the car, wanting to go to the toilet, wanting to feed, wanting to do anything. You and I both agree, I think, that some of these things have been very, very badly handled. What do you have to say about the border closures and the effect that that's had on the general safety situation that we've been dealing with over the last 12 months? I think they should publish their job safety advice and their safe work method statements for us to have a look at because um, traffic management as well as highway speed control is something that is a responsibility given to them Mm. by legislation and there should be an inquiry into how these events keep happening I welcome the review or the audit into how it's happened because if we were to find out that there is no job safety advice or safe work method statement available, then there's serious questions as to how any safe work is credited on the highway for these officers at least that are out there and putting themselves in legal limbo. Mm. They're ordered out to shut the road and to start checking permits. Is part of that job safety advice having traffic management for 10 kilometres? We don't know. Yeah. It's something that these highway officers should be asking for, showing so everyone can see who was given the order to close it and not keep an eye on the traffic at 2 o'clock in the morning, mm. most dangerous time between midnight and 6 o'clock. And I'm unsure of the circumstances, but I've been told that it was a Lin Fox driver. Mm. and they've not commented as far as I've seen so far. Mm. They're waiting for the investigations, and this is all part of it. Is there an inadvertent victim of the circumstances as well? They provide an excellent working environment for their drivers. They've got a culture of looking after their drivers, and I'm sure that they didn't want to have one of their drivers killed amongst the hundreds of drivers that get killed every year. It's something that definitely needs to be addressed. And people should still write to Senator Stirl's inquiry. Mm. It's ongoing. He will still publish it. Mm. He told me a year and a half ago that he'll take submissions up until the very last day. Mm. So they can go on to rrat.sen at aph.gov.au and just write an email, send a photo, contact him and say that these issues are important. And if you're a one truck company or a driver or a fleet owner, it's all going to play out with the way the economy's going. I'm going to go to an election maybe this year, they were talking. So it's our chance as a community to push for some reforms while we can and pressure the government, whichever side's in, to bring about some reforms. It doesn't matter if they're red or blue. Yeah, my discussions with Glenn over the last 12, 18 months have sort of shown that we're a hell of a lot closer together than we are apart particularly on the road safety issues. We might have a different solution sometimes, but we're on the same page as far as doing the right things concerned. I would say to you about this incident that happened on the border of South Australian border at Serviston, my understanding is that the police were advised by several professional drivers that a dangerous situation was developing 
and the police had basically said that they had the situation under control. We all know what transpired. Now, 2020 hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I would have thought that if you've got professional drivers telling you that there is a dangerous situation developing, you'd be pretty silly if you didn't take that information on board and perhaps act on it or at least investigate it, wouldn't you say? It's a community problem. The drivers trying to interact with the police officers in the middle of the night on the side of the road isn't the right outcome. Yep. It should have been organised correctly with the proper JSO, the swims, the lighting, all the traffic cones, all the signs, all the flashing lights. It should have been done correctly. We've seen it many times where drivers have warned a situation is imminent mm. and, and the voices are, are going in one ear and out the other. It is the industry in a nutshell. Mm. There's a guy, he's driving along, He's doing the right thing. He's got his seatbelt on, his camera's on. He comes over the hill and the line of traffic is there stopped. Yep. So that's no longer an acceptable outcome. Yep. Not in my eyes, personally, because of what happened to Dane Bellinger. Yep. It's the exact same scenario, but a different location. It's all it is. It was almost the same time of the day and the conditions the same. Yeah. So these things can be worked on. That's what a safe work method statement is for, mm. to tick off and have signed by the overseer to say that that is correct. Mm. The job safety advice goes along with the safe work method statement. Yep. That's how it works. You cannot get onto a site without being inducted. Where's the induction cards? Everyone's supposed to have a permit to go across the border. It's all supposed to be all this thing. Mm. And it's just a reflection of the knee-jerk reactions that they pull on truck drivers. They didn't inadvertently set out to cause a crash because no one would do that on purpose. Yeah. But the lack of oversight has allowed it to happen. And that's what's happened to the entire industry by allowing unskilled, unqualified drivers out onto the road for one. Mm. Not providing the amenities and services like a safe place to stop. Not allowing the drivers to have a big sleeper to sleep in not having water as mandatory as being carried, I put that as one of my basic requirements is that you need water. Yeah. If you're going to travel somewhere, you need a bottle of water. But if I hire an employee to work at my factory, I need to supply water. Yeah. But if I drive a truck for you, you don't have to make sure I've got water. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to look after my own water. Yeah. And I do. But in a fair society, in a fair workplace, these drivers that have died of exposure and have died of dehydration, that simple thing of making a fridge in the truck with water mandatory, it's a basic human right to have water. Mm. And yet that simple recommendation, maybe it'll make it in his report, maybe it won't make it in the report. If enough people push for any of their ideas, I'll support any positive raising of the standards and conditions because the next raising of the standards and conditions will be the first raising of the standards and conditions. Yeah, well, you won't get any argument out of me, mate. You and I are both a lot closer together than we are further apart on things, and I'm delighted to have had you on the show. Perhaps we can get together again down the track and we can talk about some single issues in a bit of a shorter format and maybe give you something to talk about occasionally. What would you say to that? Sure, thank you. It's been good to have a bit of time to explain it in a bit more detail. Yep. As you know, when you're given evidence in that Senate hearing, that time just flies by. Yep. 
there was a bit more stuff I would have liked to have been able to say, and I just didn't get the opportunity, but it's all there in my written submission. You can always add another one. That's right. There's 120 submissions on the Senate website now. You can send a simple email just saying you support what Mick says or what I say or what any of the other authors have said. It needs to be fixed now. Yep, I agree. Right, mate. Well, thanks for that. I'll see you on the road. See you on the road. When it comes to road transport, safety is everything. Seeing Machines Guardian minimises the risk of fatigue and distraction for drivers and provides real-time monitoring centre analysis and appropriate intervention. Already trusted by more than 400 of the safest road transport businesses around the world, find out how Seeing Machines Guardian can safeguard your fleet, your valuable cargo and most importantly, your drivers. Visit www.seeingmachines.com It's time for That's What You Think. Some say they're too opinionated for their own good. Some say they're just a pair of grumpy old men. We just know them as Mike and Andy. Wake me when the show starts. It's already been on a while. Wake me when it's over. Hey Mike, just checking in on you mate. As our listeners know, you've been off the road for a week now. How are you faring? Going through any withdrawals? Yeah, I am actually missing seeing the big bird at the end of the bottom. It's a little bit different. Rose is probably a little bit sick of me. I haven't been stabbed yet, though, so all good. It's good to hear. Well, it got me to thinking, everyone knows Mike the Oz Trucker, king of the road. <laughs> but I, for one, have no idea what you get up to when you're not sitting up there in the big nine hour pounding out the miles. Mm. So just so we can all get to know you a little bit better, what non-truck-related activities do you get up to? Well, me and a mate of mine bought a racing snail the other week. A racing snail? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bloody expensive, Jim. I'll tell you what, they're hard to keep. Yeah. Bit slow, though. Bit slow. And hard finding saddles, I'd expect, as well. Yeah. Well, we thought we'd take the shell off. Yeah. See if we could make him perform a little bit better. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's a bit sluggish. <laughs> right, I've done the joke. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> Hobbies. Well, look, I used to fly model aeroplanes, mm-hmm. uh, like radio control models. Yeah. But obviously, you need time and you need space. So I sort of gave that away. I've still got a little bit of radio control gear lying around, but you just don't have the time for it really now. I thought you'd have a radio controlled truck or something. I have got a radio controlled truck. Of course. And a radio controlled excavator. Yep. And I'm working on a bucket loader, like a front end loader to load the truck with. Makes sense. I'm taking over to Perth with me. I'm going to get the grandson. We're going to build a sand pit in the young bloke's backyard, and it's going to be really big. <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, anyone that's seen a picture of you knows that you've got the body of a Greek god. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you maintain that? Any sports or anything, mate? (laughs) (laughs) I used to play rugby as a young bloke. Oh, yes. I haven't played rugby for a very, very, very long time. What was your position, scrum? (laughs) I was a prop, actually. Okay. Played in prop. Yeah. Of course, the rules have changed a little bit since I played. Rugby union and rugby league I played back in the day. But I'm in shape, mate. Rounds of shape. (laughs) Well, it is. All right, and you taste the music, mate. What do you like? Oh, look, here we go. I mean, let's talk about music. We don't have long. We don't have long. <laughs> I listen to just about anything. Yep. just depends on the frame of mind. You know, obviously the ACDC, Metallica, Judas Priest, you know, that sort of thing from my younger days. Metalhead. 
Oh, yeah, look, I get right into it. But I also like a bit of country. I like Jane Denham music, obviously, and I uh, like Tony Justice's stuff. I really do. He's got a new album out. We're going to talk to him about that soon. Yep. That sort of modern country, sort of rocky sort of stuff. I'm not really much into the Willie and Whalen sort of thing. Yep. Grew up with country music. Okay. I had a hell of a crush on that blonde bird in ABBA. Yeah, I think every bloke did. That blue satin suit that she used to wear was terrible. Yep. 16. Yep. Hormones coursing through the body. At the risk of making or breaking a friendship, what about meatloaf? <laughs> meatloaf. With sauce? <laughs> That's about the only way I could handle it. The old, is, it Mr., is it Mr. Loaf? Mr. Loaf, yeah. yeah. I always thought he should be on the stage, but it should have been the first one out of town. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> Leave you to it. Thanks for sharing. It's all right, buddy. You take care. Yeah, you too. Good on you, mate. ta See ya. Just a quick word about our sponsors. Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au. You can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you're interested in or something that you may need, please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. On the road news time, Mike, you're fired up, ready to go. We're about to head across the paddock and annoy the hell out of some of the fellas running across there. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, just quickly before we start, as you know, I like to share a little bit of my life with you every week. Yeah. Because I'm a caring, sharing kind of guy. I know. And I just wanted to mention, I got up this morning, opened the front door. Yeah. And someone had left this huge box of Lego on the doorstep. Lego on the doorstep. Yeah. I just don't know what to make of it. <laughs> well, I went to a fancy dress party the other day. Uh-huh. This little bloke came up to me and I said, what are you, mate? And he said, I'm a harp. And I said, mate, you're too small to be a harp. And he said, what are you calling me, a little liar? Okay. That's very good, Mike. Wasn't too bad. I stole that. Oh, yeah. And I can't say don't give up your day job because you just did. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do the news. I've had enough of you frivolity. All right, mate. First up. A bloke driving a ute which clipped a tanker on the M1 at Helensvale last year, causing the truck to crash and closing the motorway for over 13 hours, has finally had his day in court, resulting in a $533 fine and the loss of three demerit points. Yeah. (laughs) Can you believe that the fine is as paltry for that as it is? That quite shocked me. The amount of damage, destruction and inconvenience to everyone in the community and he gets that. Mm. Just as an aside, I, I mean, I don't really want to talk too much about it because I want people to go to the Big Rigs webpage and read the story there and get all the facts. Mm. I'd just like to point something out to you. Damn good job he didn't make a mistake in a logbook. Yes. Because, you know, if he had it done, the fine would have been 685 bucks. <laughs> That's all right. For a clerical error in the logbook. Yeah. But, you know, they can upsize that if they want to. It can turn into thousands. Oh, yeah. And a minor work breach, they start at $454. Yep. So, you know, that's just simple stuff. Good job. Well, it puts me in mind of the Copy Southbound video. I wonder if someone rushed up the tanker drivers and made anything in the cab when he died. <laughs> because the truck driver's going along there minding his own business, 30,000 litres of fuel in the tank. Yeah. And this clown does that in front of him and gets that profound mate. It really makes me shake my head. And you've got to wonder what the hell it's all going about. It would have cost more than that to run the court for the day. 
Yep. Anyway, I just thought I'd comment. That's all I really wanted to comment about the story. Hmm. Just to highlight to everyone the disparity and what happens if you make a clerical error in your logbook compared to, you know, you can flip a tanker and block a highway for hours and hours and hours. 533 bucks. Yep. Three demerit points. Ridiculous. Moving on. The Queensland Trucking Association is lobbying hard to have the glitch fixed in the New South Wales entry declaration form. Yeah. And they've offered some good advice to truckies who need to cross the border from the Sunshine State into New South Wales. Yeah, that'd be don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, seriously. Can you believe this crap has been going on for as long as it's been going along and the governments that have been most responsible for all this stuff haven't sorted it out yet? Yeah. That's ridiculous. The knee-jerk lockdowns, you would have thought that there'd have been some bureaucrat sitting around pushing his pen who would have got this sorted out, but no, no. It's not the people that are actually making the decisions about this. It's us poor mugs driving the trucks to get caught up and get into dealing with the crap. Yep. I have lost count of the amount of people that have contacted me since this whole thing began to complain about the bureaucratic ineptitude of our governments with respect to these border passes. Mm. And once again, no one cares. No one cares. Read the story in the Big Rigs newspaper. Yeah, well, just quickly, the good advice is to take a screenshot. <laughs> yeah. Take a screenshot, yeah. yeah. I screenshotted my border pass, the last one I had to go into Queensland, mm. and I pulled up at the check-in station at Gundawindi when it was set up there, yep. and I came to a stop, and I got my iPad out, and I opened it up, and the Queensland Transport bloke, TMR bloke, said to me, why did you stop? And I said, because it's illegal to handle a communication device while you're driving a truck. Didn't you know that? <laughs> what did he say? He just looked at me like, you know, <laughs> what, what are you? Yeah, smart ass. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. There you go. Who picks these news stories? Uh, you do, I think, mate. Uh, right <laughs> Ten four. <laughs> oh, good. All right, mate. Andrew McKellar, the CEO of the Australian Trucking Association, has said that truck dimension changes must be changed oh, yeah. to make zero and low emission trucks more available. Yeah, yeah. We'll change all the dimension rules and get the Australian standards changed so we can have zero emissions, cheaper to run coal-fired electric vehicles. <laughs> but the ATA says not a peep about living space for truck drivers who run long distance in the back of the sleeper. Oh, no, no, no. Mm. More important to talk about coal-fired power stations running electric vehicles and the submission on the heavy vehicle standards when it comes to that. Day. We have a width of 2.5 metres now, right? Yep. European trucks, you know, things like the Scania Exa, for example, which has excellent living space. Right. The big Mercedes-Benzes they have over there even the little bit bigger Volvos, scarily enough, have a width measurement of 2.55 metres, right? Mm. Our laws are 2.5. The US vehicles are generally 2.6. So we're talking about 100 millimetres, four inches. Mm. Now, most trucks' mirrors stick out a little bit further than that, actually. But anyway, yeah. but if your flares on your fuel tanks are more than four inches wider than the Australian standard, it's not roadworthy, you can't bring it into Australia. Yeah. Several years ago, they had a Coronado at the Brisbane Truck Show. Mm. It was the next best thing, and it was wonderful. And Freightliner and Dame Chrysler were quacking all over this. It's going to be brilliant, right? Yeah. They couldn't release it in Australia because it was too wide. Yeah. We ended up re-engineering it. What we've ended up now with is the Cascadia that they're bringing in now. But they're still re-engineered down to 2.5. Our truck market isn't big enough for us to have the variety of trucks that they have in the US and Europe. Yeah. And it's all to do with four inches and the Australian design rules. Yep. And it does everyone's head in. We could solve so many problems with the stroke of a pen. Yep. We don't even need to change the legislation as it exists. We just need to tweak it a little bit, get a little bit more weight limit on the steer, a little bit extra in the width, 
and we could have any truck built anywhere in the world here in Australia. But no, no, too hard. Yep. But the ATA gets on the bandwagon. Maybe they'll talk about some 53-foot trailers so we can get the stuff moved a bit cheaper. Who knows? So you finally answered that all-important question for us, Mike. What's that, mate? Size does matter. <laughs> well, it's not when it comes to trucks, it does, yeah. Yeah. Now, mate, just to finish up this week, great news with the announcement that Aussie trucking legend and truck safety advocate Rod Hanafy has been appointed president of the National Road Freighters Association. Now, you've had the pleasure of chatting with Rod, I know, about this, and we'll share the interview in just a moment, but can you give us a little bit of the background on this, mate? Well, Rod's been around forever. I mean, he's the architect of the green reflector program up and down the Newell and all the other highways in the country for the informal parking bays. Mm-hmm. He never stops. He's been talking about roads, road safety, ever since he was starting fuel for Fenimore's back in the day. Yeah. I grew up in the industry listening to Rod and people like Rod, and I must say that Rod's inspired me to go down the path that I've gone on in a, in a lot of ways with respect to advocating for safety and, and basically put up or shut up. Yeah, He's been great. He's been vice president of the NRFA for a while now. I am personally delighted that Rod's been made president of the NRFA, so much so they actually got into my wallet the other day and I've put in a membership. Good on you. I would encourage anyone else to have a think about it because there are very few places out there representing drivers and owner-drivers in the way that the NRFA does. The NHBR, Sal Patrick Kiddo, reckons that Rod's appointment's a good thing. I really wish I'd done it earlier. Yeah. Simple as that. Fair enough. That's it for this week. Don't forget, folks, for all the information on these stories and more, go to bigrigs.com.au. Mate, just a quick bit of advice for you and all our listeners, if I may, please. Mm. If you're ever attacked by a gang of vicious taxidermists, whatever you do, do not play dead, okay? (laughs) I'll try not to. Just tell them to get stuck. That's right. Cheers, mate. Bye. Rod Hannafy's been named president of the National Road Freighters Association, and this is a great thing. Rod is talking the talk and walking the walk, and I love him for it. I reckon it's great. Here's the chat I had with him on the phone a little while ago. I've been involved with the National Road Freighters Association a long time. I was a member of the Australian Road Train Association when it was initially sort of based here in Dubbo. They were struggling at the time when there was a number of associations and looked to join in and merge with Nat Road. That might well have gone okay for Nat Road, but it didn't really go well for the Road Train Association. They sort of nearly got filtered out, I suppose, over the next few years. And that left, outside of the union, if you're an employed driver and you work in a city and in a depot, nowhere for blokes to be involved, to have a say. National Road Freighters have been going over 10 years. I've probably been involved for five or six as an onlooker initially. I've been on the board for probably five or six years and I was vice president last year and actually when the meeting was on and of course of all places it was in Dubbo and I was in Glendambo filming caravans and road trains. We had it all teed up with other people and I just couldn't miss that chance because we'd held a lot of other people to account to make it all happen. Mm. I did get a phone call on the Saturday night after the dinner to say that I'd been elected vice president. And I suppose, mate, with this new truck coming and the intent to go to shows with it, that works perfectly with encouraging people to look at NAFRA. Yep. It is really the only grassroots-based organisation. And whilst many of the members, and I suppose its ethos came from owner-drivers, There's no reason that a normal driver can't join and participate. 
it's one of the reasons that has kept me involved in that I offer a bit of a different view from many of them. Mm. But of course, some of the things I'm already involved in, they're quite passionate about as well. There's better rest areas, better conditions. And it'd be nice to think that somebody out there is going to fix it all for us. Yeah. But you and I both know that that's not going to happen unless somebody gets out and does it. We just got to find the bloke and make him bloody get out there and do a bit more work. That's right. We do. Well, I reckon it's time for me to put my money where my mouth is, mate. Who do I have to see to pay me membership to the NRFA? Mate, you can do it online. Yep. They tell me it's as simple as anything. And look, I'd welcome your feedback because we don't want to encourage people in and then not deliver. Yeah. It's up to us to do our part. And of course, with COVID, the ability to attend meetings, to get a word out has been restricted substantially compared to previously. And as an association, we virtually had to sit back and watch some of those things over the last six months. But you hope that new blood and a, a bit of passion and maybe a little bit more exposure, I'd like to see that we could become a force. I don't know whether you've had a look, mate, but I see Sal Petrocito certainly congratulated the outgoing president, Gordon McKinlay. Yes, he did. Saying that National Road Freighters were valued to them and providing information. Mate, if you look at Glenn Searle's inquiry, look at the number of individual people and the NAFA itself, we would be the biggest single group of people who have contributed to that. Yeah, I've noticed that. That's not to say that we think Glenn's going to solve all the problems. It'd be really nice, but it's because it's a forum to have a say. And the more of us that have a say, I'm sure you'd agree, the more likely are to get an outcome of at least some improvement. Oh, 100%. Nothing changes if no one says anything. Mate, I've been saying that for a long time, just as you have. And yeah, mate, a lot of our blokes will sit in a truck stop and whinge, and I understand their frustration, and I understand their cynicism, but I also understand that that in itself doesn't solve it, mate. There was a post on Facebook the other day, a university professor got out there, and he didn't give us a very high rating, and he went back and quoted the Grafton bus crash and oh, yeah. things in the past, and those things happen. We recognise that. But we have changed. We have improved. Our accident rate has dropped even more than that of cars. Yes. And yet there is no recognition of that. There is no validation of the fact that we are at least making an improvement. And they're quite happy to go out and hang us all out to dry. And again, on Facebook, everybody was on there and they were bagging this bloke. I actually wrote a post and I said, how many of you are going to contact the author? Yeah and try and educate him or improve his knowledge. And I have done that. I've left a message. I haven't heard back from him. I'll be honest with you there. Mm. But I wrote a reply and then I put my reply up on Facebook. And it's not just about bagging them or saying he doesn't know what he's talking about or, you know, has he ever been in a truck? I always tried to be constructive. Mm. And, of course, I've offered him a trip. Yep. Let's see whether he takes it up. Yeah. It's uh, probably really the best way to deal with it is to sort of take the conversation back and have the conversation rather than just bag the hell out of things. That doesn't work. No, mate. And, of course, in mentioning that, when I was talking on the radio this morning, I said I'm currently working on my submission to NHVR. Mm. So, of course, you're aware that our last national road safety strategy failed badly. Yes, I am aware, yeah. We, We didn't reach any of the targets. So now we have a new one. And we were probably a bit slack there, mate, that I missed the date for its deadline, so I can't contribute to that strategy directly. Mm. But NHBR is now calling for submissions to them to help, I suppose, not fill out, but to give depth to their submission to that strategy from the trucking industry. I see that Nat Road were very critical of the strategy. It's virtually anti-truck. And we know that we're not at fault the majority of the time. So how do they balance that? How do they justify that in any way, shape or form? And yet here is a chance, mate. So any of your listeners out there, if you go to the NHVR website, you'll see they're calling for submissions. 
I think I'm on my third page at the moment, and that's open until the end of this month. And like we've just discussed, if everybody sits at home and says they should do this and they should do that and they haven't got a clue, then how are they going to get that clue if you don't make the effort to tell them? And by the same token, I often deal with people and I say to them, look, have you rang up about a bit of road lately? Mm. Oh, I rang up and I gave them an earful. Well, that's not going to help. You've got to be constructive and you've got to be realistic and you've also got to be a little bit respectful. That's exactly right. The people you ring to complain about a bit of road, they didn't build it. They didn't make it fail. They're there to take your information. But if you're going to ring up and go off to them like some half-assed bloody idiot, they're going to think all truck drivers are like that. They're not going to listen. They're not going to get any value out of it and nothing will change. You've got another option, mate. Your podcast getting out to a few. I do a bit on the radio. I've got my column in owner driver. Each individual listens and reads and looks at different things. Yes, that's right. And the wider we can get that message and then the wider we can get that response 10 blokes, in essence, could do more than I could do in 10 years. Mm. Because if only one bloke makes the comment, oh, well, you're a Windsor truck driver, what would he know? Or, oh, look, you know, he's the only one that said that. Mm. But if 10 blokes wrote into that submission and said, for example, Pacific Highway, mm. right? It's a magnificent road now. It's never had enough rest areas. No, that's true. When they started duplicating it, I said to them, And I wrote a letter to RMS and I think the minister at the time. And I said, we waited 30 years for a changeover facility on the Hume Highway. Mm -hmm. They knew of the problems at Clyde Barker and and what was going on there in the dark and in the night and in the 100K zone and back and forth out of that BP that didn't really look after us all that well. Indeed. And what did they do on the new road? Absolutely Absolutely nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Yep. Matey, it is criminal that they turn around and say, we want you to be safe. We want you to set up changeovers so the bloke goes home and he's in his own bed and you've got more chance to get drivers into the industry. Yep. And then turn around and spend, what, billions of dollars on that highway, and we certainly welcome it. Mm. And there's probably going to be more blokes now using that to run from Brisbane to Melbourne because mm. you don't really have the ruse, you don't really have the issues. Getting through Sydney is a lot easier now than it used to be, except for that bloody tunnel. Don't start me on the tunnel, mate. Exactly right. That's another one, yep. But those blokes are going to run down there and there's not enough rest areas now. Mm. And they did absolutely nothing knowing that that was a critical factor in how the industry is going, and yet it was totally ignored. And how do we hold them to account for that? Yeah, well, the only way to hold them to account to it is to point it out to them and, as you say, more than one bloke has to do it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm delighted to see that you've been put into the position of the president for the NRFA, mate. I really am. I do think it's a step forward and I'm going to join the NRFA now because I can see that's what I should have done in the first place. Oh, well, I look forward to it, mate. And then when you get over to WA, I certainly want your support for the green reflectors over there. I promise. We'll do it. Look forward to it. Thanks, mate. Take care, Mike. Hey everyone, Kermie here. Hope you're travelling well, staying safe and on the right side of the white line, by which of course I mean the left. I also hope you're tuning in to the On The Road podcasts with Mike and Andy, because if you're not, two things will happen. One, you'll be missing out on some great interviews, a good few laughs, and what's generally going on out there in truck land. Uh, What's the other thing? Ah, that's it. You won't have heard this plug for On The Road. Hmm. 
Okay then, so those of you who are already on here, go and tell your mates about On The Road. They can find it on Spotify or iTunes at On The Road Aussie Trucking Podcast. But you knew that, didn't you? Because you're already... Yeah, look, just go and sell them, okay? Cheers and take care of you. I got something to talk about. I was just looking through the Big Rigs Facebook page and I came across this story about the Wandekla Roadhouse. Now, Wandekla Roadhouse is up in far north Queensland, out in the Atherton Tablelands. This is one of those little places you stop at from time to time. You go up there. I think I've actually been there once. I really don't remember. I carted some spuds out of up there somewhere many, many years ago and I reckon I went there. But anyway, Favourite roadhouse that we used to go to, though, was last week I was just sort of driving back towards Sydney from Bathurst doing the delivery out there, and I came up to Little Hartley to the diner there on the left-hand side, getting about lunchtime, and I looked over, and I thought, she's haven't been in there for years. I reckon I might just swoop in there and have a bit of a feed before I go up over the mountain and face the traffic on the buddy M7. Anyway, slipped in there and paid a little bit over the odds for breakfast, or lunch, actually. I had breakfast for lunch. I did. Isn't that terrible? But paid a little bit over the odds for the feed. But, I mean, it was an excellent feed. Great memories. The people were fantastic and really worth every cent. And look back through time of other roadhouses I used to really enjoy. You know, the roadhouse Little Topar. I used to always stop there and have a steak and have a beer. And when I was working with old mate Josh Smith, we used to pull up there and the road trains and everyone used to stop there. It was great. Well, Jugyong on the Yume, I used to enjoy stopping there back in the day too. That used to be a BP when I stopped there. I think it's a mobile now, correct me if I'm wrong. But all these little mum and pop style roadhouses that used to you know, take us in and they got to know us. Cocklebitty, my favourite when I was running Perth with Rose. We would pull up there for breakfast every Wednesday morning. The people in there knew us. As soon as we pulled up, they started making our breakfast for us. They knew what we were going to have. And the level of service and the, the friendship and all that sort of thing, it's one of the nicer parts about doing this job. So have a talk about it amongst yourselves. Have a bit of a think about you know what your favourite roadhouses are and support them too because they're going away. We're losing something with this plastic McCafe-style roadhouse things we have to endure these days. It's sort of getting away from some of the niceties, I suppose. Well, I reckon it is anyway. But if you want to, give me a ring. Flick us an email, let us know. We can keep the conversation going. Apart from that, enjoy your feed at whichever roadhouse you go to. Support your local roadhouses that you love. Look out for me when I'm going over to Perth. If you see me towing the big cell van in my white ball drive, I'll be on Channel 40. Say good day. Maybe we can do some taking it to the streets on the way over there. Should be fun. Keep it safe, guys. See you on the road. out here on the road it's the Easter long weekend if you're in New South Wales it's double demerit points until like Tuesday night but there are far more important things than demerit points on your license you do get them back you make a mistake and someone gets hurt or killed that never comes back so have a think about what you're doing driving around keep your eyes on the road and please don't do anything silly. Drive safely. Drive to the conditions and have a little bit of patience. It will get you there in the end and we'll look forward to seeing you the next episode of On The Road. As we head for home on this week's show, 
Let's hear from Neb Nichols once more. Here's his great song, Super Trucker. brings us to the end of another On The Road show. We hope you enjoyed it. On The Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. For more On The Road news and additional features, visit our website at www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Be sure to join us same time next week. In the meantime, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road are great believers in the right to free of speech, and whilst we might not always be in 100% agreement with the views and opinions of our guests and contributors, we firmly support their right to hold and express those opinions. Nothing ever worries him, he 